Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I am the host of the Sendcast. I am also the managing director of B Squared, a company who supports schools to show small steps of progress. Each week on the podcast, we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. This is part one of our third Corona bonus episode. Our guest is Sarah Jane Critchley, an author, speaker, consultant, and coach. Sarah Jane will be talking about anxiety and how to support people with anxiety during this time, which is anything but normal. This is a really big area at the moment, as we are all feeling anxious with all the changes that are going on, but for some people, their anxiety might be having a huge impact on their life. Now, I'm recording this intro after recording the podcast with Sarah Jane, so I already know what is coming. I know that we aimed for 45 minutes and we missed this by a long way. The conversation was two and a half hours long. This would have been a bit long for a single podcast, so we split this episode into two parts. This is part one and part two will be released in a few days. But before we get started with part one, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. We ran our first conference of 2020 a few weeks ago, covering a wide range of topics. But you haven't missed it though, as you can still buy access and watch videos whenever you need to. It's a great way for all staff to receive CPD around SEND, whether they're at home or at school. The next few months, we'll also be recording a number of sessions for parents. We run these differently, and we're not quite sure how yet, and see what we're currently working on. For more information on the conference for the schools or for the parents, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Sarah Jane. Hello, Dale. Hello, listeners. So anxiety is a big topic normally, but right now with all the changes that have happened over the last few weeks to our everyday lives, it is huge. Before we move on to how the current situation might affect someone's anxiety, let's start at the beginning. What is anxiety? Oh, well, anxiety is actually potentially quite helpful. So it's really useful if you think about anxiety in three different ways. So the first thing is thinking about anxiety is worry. So the lowest level of anxiety is worry. So I'm worried if um, I'm going to ruin my cup of coffee when I make it, if it's going to taste bad. I may worry that I've left something somewhere I've forgotten about. It's a small thought that kind of comes and goes and floats away and isn't too much of a concern. You may worry if I said you need a podcast camera for this episode. I kind of would. Yeah, I'm going to get onto that in a second. just yeah. (laughs) And then the second level is stress. So that's when your your worry gets bigger and it gets more um, concerning and you start to freak out a little bit. So I would say this morning I was extremely stressed at the thought of recording a podcast from home for the first time. So I woke up and I was feeling really anxious about recording a podcast. How ironic is that? Just ridiculous. And then there's a third level, which is anxiety, which is when it becomes really ingrained and really systemic. And it is long lasting and it gets in the way of you doing the things that you're able to do normally. 
And that's a much more severe thing. And I think we misunderstand when people say that they're anxious. So sometimes someone will say, I'm feeling really anxious about doing something, and they may actually just be stressed about it. It may not be a long-term thing. It may be a short-term thing that doesn't have a real problem. People with anxiety disorders feel actually quite disabled by having those, by not being able to do things that they could normally otherwise do. And so, for example, my daughter has a, a diagnosis of autism and anxiety, and that has impacted massively on her life and in what she can do. So that's one of the reasons why I'm talking to you today, because I know what that feels like. I know what it's like to not be able to know what you can achieve on any given day. But let's talk about why, why anxiety can be a really good thing. So you feel anxious for a very good biological reason. Your brain is there to keep you alive. It is a survival reflex. What it's trying to do is to protect you from that velociraptor that's coming ramping over the hillsides and threatening to eat you. So your body, your brain, everything about you is hotwired to say, there is a threat, get me away from this threat. What happens in anxiety is that that threat keeps happening over and over and over again, even when the thing that would cause you the stress has gone or is not there. So you're actually reacting at a much higher level than you'd normally expect. And that is really, really hard to deal with. So first thing is to accept that it's a totally normal response. And the second thing is to work out what we can do about it. Now, today, right now, we are in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic. There are lots of really good reasons why we could be really worried, really anxious, and really concerned about what's going on. So that's real. The first thing is to accept that it is real. Even if somebody else doesn't see what it is that's causing you the stress and anxiety, it doesn't mean it's not real to you. So a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today are good for coronavirus and pandemic. They're good for general anxiety and they're good for life. Because one of the things that we know is that we will have large life events that we can't affect. We'll have things that are beyond our ability to control that happen to us throughout our lives. And we have to work out ways to deal with them. So it's good for everything. So let's first of all talk about what we could do in this current situation right now. And one of the things that can be really helpful is to make sure that you're getting good information from a reliable source, not a source that's overreacting and not a source that is spreading misinformation. So my top tip to start is to get the real facts from a reliable source. Now I'm going to name three places for you to do that right now. So with lots of practical hints and tips throughout today's session. So the first place to look, I would recommend is the BBC Daily Briefing. I like yeah. to do that regularly and just once a day. I'll explain a bit more about why just once a day later, but just once a day because it is reliable. It is fact checked. You could argue about the interpretation of some of the policies and whether they're working or not, but the actual facts are the best that we can say right now. Now, that doesn't mean we know everything now. Oh, boy, do I wish we did. But we don't. But it's the best and it's reliable. So none of the, uh, oh, I can't remember what's it called, fake news. None of the fake news stuff that somebody who's slightly orange refers to. Um, I won't dignify the person with the name. So we need to have pucker information for ourselves first. OK, and then we need to have reliable information for our children, too. 
So what can you use that will give reliable information that is geared around making it accessible for young people too? So CBBC Newsround is fantastic, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes for you as well. So that gives you really good quality fact-checked information that isn't hysterical. Always a good place to start. And not everybody can access things that are written down. Not everybody is able to understand and process that level of information. So my third source that I'm going to give you is a wonderful resource called From Books Beyond Words, which has a coronavirus story. And I think Jane Friswell referred to it as well in the previous podcast, the coronavirus podcast. It is absolutely fantastic. There's a link to that, which tells the story of a girl who's worried about the virus and what you should do. And it also gives resources in the back of the book. And it's free to download in PDF. People can get it today. And you can use it with somebody who doesn't have a lot of language. You can use it with somebody who doesn't process a lot of language. And actually, you know what? The more stressed we get, the less good our ability to process language becomes. So it can be really good to take some of that demand out so that you can get that understanding over. Can I just go back to uh, what you said about that, um, making sure you're fact-checking and no fake news? Yeah. Um, there has been quite a lot of stuff going around social media where something looks like a screenshot from the BBC website or it looks like a screenshot of the government's Twitter feed, but it's not actually on the government's Twitter feed. So if you see something which looks like it's from somewhere, go and check the source. So there was a tweet which came up and I was like, that's not what Boris said. They go, no, here's a tweet from the government. So I was like, okay, I went to Twitter. Yeah. That tweet wasn't on the government's feed. Huh. That tweet was spreading around social media like wildfire. The people had screenshot it and someone yeah. had saved that screenshot and passed it on and they saved it and passed it on. It just went around like wildfire. Yet if you went to the government's Twitter feed, it was not there. Mm. So go to the website, go to the Twitter account of the government and check. Don't just take someone's word for it if it's been screenshotted. Absolutely. And it's one of the things I found quite useful is to schedule just having that particular time to go and find out what's really going on. Because you can get caught up in a spiral where you're spending all of your time going and looking and then you think, oh, this is happening and that number's increasing because we haven't hit the peak yet. So there will be more and more bad news coming. So you can kind of go down the rabbit hole of, oh, my God, it's really bad here, and this is happening there, and we won't even go into what's happening in the States right now. You know, That doesn't actually help anyone to reduce and manage their anxiety at all. We have to be informed. That's important. But we have to also control the amount that we allow that to affect us. So um, I always find it quite helpful to schedule my depression for a particular point in the day. So I think (laughs) the five o'clock briefing is the time where I've said, right, I'm going to be really upset and anxious right now. I'm going to do it here. I have no time for it in the rest of my day. But when Boris and his friends are out there talking, you know, this is my time to say, right, this is happening. This is real. You know, I'm going to sit with that. I know it's not going to make me feel happy. And I may be quite cross about some of the things they say because that may appeal to me, but (laughs) I'm only going to have it then. And then the best thing that I've done since is that I absolutely love the Great British Home Chorus. 
So I bounce from Boris's Bad News into the Great British Home Chorus with Gareth Malone on YouTube live every evening at 5.30 and sing my little heart out in my study <laughs> as a kind of antidote to all the stuff that's going on because it just cheers me up and actually it stops me from having that continued cycling because we get into this spiral and the lovely yeah. Dean Beadle talks about um, his he calls it the egg whisk of anxiety where he kind of has this anxiety and then it gets whisked into something bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes a huge meringue and it's just lovely to think if you can bounce from one thing into another you've got something to transition out of it it distracts your focus and takes you off somewhere else so so I've got questions about your scheduled yeah. depression. Did you schedule that depression or was it after the first briefing you just got depressed and realised this is going to be a depressing time every day? Well, actually, it took me until yesterday to realise that I was positively scheduling this. <laughs> thinking <laughs> that it had just happened. And then I thought, actually, hmm, yeah, well, OK, so that can be the time that I can do this. And I've got other things to be getting on with and it's not helpful for my well-being. So I'm just going to do it then. I did, I did find it interesting when Boris delayed one of his announcements to half eight in the evening. Oh, yes. And that, that was, I generally, I just ignore, my worries, I put it in a box, put it on a shelf, I'll get it out when I have to deal with it. Yeah. And I sit there and go, it's not like back in the war because information's everywhere. But actually, waiting for an announcement at a set time, and you don't know what it's going to be, but you're guessing it's going to be big because he's delayed it. I was actually going, this is quite, this is quite, stressful this this is mm. worrying about this what's it going to say why is it why can't you do it now why have we got to wait till half eight and i actually got worried and i said went i can almost feel like what it was like back in the war sitting mm. around the radio waiting for information because you don't have to wait for information now information is everywhere but actually we had to wait we have to wait each day for an update from the government which we've not had to do before and actually i think that's also quite helpful so if you think about the way that they're trying to manage information, they're trying to manage the way that people are behaving, you have to control the way that you release that information in order for it to make the maximum information to save the maximum number of lives. So yeah. as long as you understand that that's the way that they're doing it and that's why they're doing it that way, it's not trying to manipulate people, it's trying to actually get people to do what they need to do to keep people safe. And that yes. is the key thing. So. You know, nobody likes being told what to do, really, do we? we? We all like to do our own thing and it's fine, it's lovely and lovely. But actually, there are some things that we have to do to keep everybody safe. So we have to stay home as much as possible. We have to exercise only outside the house once a day, provided we're not already self-isolating. If you have symptoms, you stay home. If you're vulnerable, you stay home. If you have anybody who's vulnerable in your household, you stay home. If you've got a family member who's vulnerable, you don't go and see them. You know, all of that... We have to do. Yeah. And it's all about making sure that you're safe. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I'm sure many of your listeners all know all about that, but Maslow basically said that the way that we are motivated has several different layers. And the very basic level of that is safety, security, shelter, and food. And that's the level we're at right now. That is what is important right now. So there are lots of other worries, but generally they're not around, oh, am I going to achieve my doctorate this week? You know, they're actually going to be around, can I get enough food? Am I safe? 
will my family still be okay tomorrow? You know, these are big worries. They're not little worries. They're big worries and they're appropriate. So shoulders back, big girl pants on, you know, off we go. (laughs) You know, sometimes you just have to woman up, don't you, Dale? You just, well, obviously you don't have to woman up. Thank you. It might give you, bring you a bit of joy. I think we have to try and find the funny in all of this. It might might give me a different joy. (laughs) Yeah, definitely would. It definitely would. I think um, one of the things that's been so joyful about this whole experience is finding people who can share things that just make you laugh out loud. And that has been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing. From the uh, Spanish policemen who are singing Baby Shark in the middle (laughs) of that is so absurd i can't imagine that ever happening although i'm trying to i've I've seen that video i'm trying to work is that their eight hour shifts just driving to different places singing to baby shark driving somewhere else baby shark that's that might get a bit over over after a while well for the policeman yes yes and i can't think of anything i'd rather hear less than baby shark frankly but yeah (laughs) kind of Give me a bit of Ness and Dormer and I might feel a lot better, but it was just one of those <laughs> slightly upset. But it makes me happy and, and people have been sharing wonderful things and doing absurd things. And there's the the pictures as a rainbow because I'm doing my regular daily getting out and doing exercise and looking for rainbows is yep. wonderful. Those rainbow pictures, you can take your kids out on the walk provided you're all safe and you can go and spot rainbows in people's windows. And that's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So there is still amazing joy and love and caring around. And we need to focus on that because what happens is you've got this wonderful bit of your brain called, the, I think we mentioned this before, the reticular activating system, RAS. And what you tell it to look for, it looks for. So if you spend all your time obsessing about the fact that the fatality numbers are going up and PP, there isn't enough PPE and everything's terrible, then your brain will see that more often. If you tell your brain to look for funny, if you tell your brain to look for something beautiful, if you tell your brain to look for something that's amazing, it will see that more. Yeah. So it's really important that you kind of program and wire in your brain to do that more and more. And it is a practice. It isn't something that happens overnight. You have to keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And that's hard sometimes. And it's hard right now because not everything is lovely. And there will be people who are really suffering right now. Yes. I've got some stuff around that and social media, which we'll talk about later. Cool. We'll get on to that. So we understand that it's a real thing. We understand that it's your brain's natural response. We understand that this approach and the things that you can do will help you your whole life long. So you can learn skills now that will help you for life. How fantastic is that? That's good in everything. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is whose anxiety is it? So those of us who are parents will know that when we are locked in the same house, we actually carry a lot of the responsibility for the emotional temperature within that house. So if I am not okay, generally the other people in my house are less okay than they would otherwise have been. So I have to control my reactions so that I can help their reactions to be okay. Oh boy, is that hard work. This, This is not easy stuff. So there are two aspects to that. One is I think 
you can't spend all your time going along being a howdy-doody and pretending that everything's wonderful when it isn't, because nobody believes that stuff. But you have to control that and put it into a box that makes it safe for those around you. So uh, we've got a number of different experiences. So just to put this into context, um, it's quite a while ago now, but my father died. He didn't die in the coronavirus. He died a long time ago, but he had quite a long and difficult period of illness before he died. And I was really upset by that. And I had to be honest about that to my family and to my children, because I knew that I was not going to be able to lock that away and pretend it wasn't happening. So. I thought really long and hard about, do I share with them how much I'm really struggling about this or not? And I chose to do that because it was real. And we kind of went through that together. And there will be people who are experiencing this now. So that's why I'm sharing it, because I think it's relevant. I think it's important to share what you're really going through and then share what you're doing to try and make it better. However imperfect that is, you don't have to be perfect. Nobody is perfect. You can just say, look, I'm having a really rough day. I've got to vent right now. I'm feeling terrible. What can we do to make this better? And we had a wonderful thing because I was feeling a bit rocky a couple of days ago. Because it comes in waves, doesn't it, this stuff? It comes yeah. in waves all the time. So sometimes you're absolutely fine. Other minutes you think, oh, my God, how am I going to cope with the next five minutes? So I was having a bit of a rough moment. I popped in to see my daughter and she said, I said, have you got that video you wanted to show me of... Uh, Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is a, a sitcom that we love, a comedy show from the States. And there was an analysis of how important this particular character was and how his leadership was thoughtful and emotionally quiet. But he's very non-responsive. So he doesn't show his emotions very well. It described how he managed the way that he worked with each of the individual characters. Fantastic film. Absolutely lovely. And we laughed out loud because they raised an eyebrow and looked at me and said, yeah, that's a bit of what you do, which made everybody in our family just collapse in hysterics. But we had a moment where we all kind of gathered around and just sat around watching this thing that they saved up for me. And I felt better. They felt better. And it was the best part of that day. It was just beautiful. So giving your kids an opportunity to share something they love with you Will make you feel better and make them feel better and it was just a beautiful moment i think it's important that your children see you're not invincible that you are vulnerable that things do affect you yeah. because what you're saying is then is it's all right to let things affect you things will affect you you can't not let it affect you but you then got to show that you're trying to deal with it in a positive way you might not be always able to but you're sort of sitting there going look i'm struggling with this uh, but this is what I'm trying to do. And I might not have as much patience as I normally have for you. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying my best. Yeah. And we are an autistic household. So we tend to live life out loud. We have to explain what's going on because people won't automatically get what's going on in your head or how you're yeah. feeling or what you're doing. So we have to actually voice that and explain why we're feeling like that. So there's a lot of the when you do this, I feel like that going on in our household. Because actually, that's really helpful. It's just about helping to share emotional intelligence. And I think that really, really works, even if they're more emotionally intelligent than I am sometimes. <laughs> but I, I do think that sometimes what one person does and how another person perceives it is very different. And actually saying things like that can really help stop things from then becoming bigger issues. Because it's yeah. not lying there 
buried underneath and then suddenly going to boil up and explode because you don't like that jumper. Absolutely. Or some random, random thing. But yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's, don't bury it. So there's the thing about working out whose anxiety it is and then working out if it's their anxiety, how you can help them with that. And when you've already had that context, that conversation, it becomes far more believable when you turn around and say, well, when I feel like this, do you remember I did that? And so you can then have that conversation say, well, when I was feeling really fed up and down, you remember we sat down and we watched that film together and it was really lovely. Is the one you'd like to share with me now? Can I share with you one of my favourites? And you can do things like that and it becomes a far more joyful exchange. And I think one of the things as parents we need to do is to be a bit more humble and realise we don't have all the answers. And actually, our children are bringing us up brilliantly. <laughs> kind of, yes. We're turning into half-decent human beings, some of us, sometimes, some of the time, maybe, on a good day, <laughs> kind of, as a result of some of the things that they've helped us to discover. Yeah, I think, I think opening up to my children at times has really helped them realise that I'm vulnerable. But it means that I can see them trying to look after me at times. Mm. So when I sat there and I said, I've had a really difficult day, they will put extra effort in for the next few days. And it could be things like, um, you finish dinner and suddenly the plates disappear off the table without anyone saying something. Magic. Wow. It it does happen. I've seen it. I did photograph it, time and date it. Um, (laughs) I was going to say, it's a miracle. (laughs) Record that moment fast. But it might just be that they come in in the morning and give me a hug. Yeah. Or they make sure they come and greet me when I get home from work. And it's just a little bit because they're aware. Yeah. And it then sits there going, well, if you make me aware of your struggles, I can help you in the same way. Well, I'll try it. And I think it's really interesting. If we think of this in a longer term context, if you think about the way that people were after the 1914-18 war, when the Spanish flu had happened, so you had all the First World War happening, you have people coming back who are seriously traumatised from that experience. And then you have people who dealt with serious pandemic as well on top. And that generation were taught to bottle everything up. They were taught to keep everything very quiet. And there were all sorts of societal fallout from them doing that. And I think there are things we can learn from how people responded to that time that will help us to deal with this better. It doesn't mean the stuff won't happen. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. It just means that we can deal with it perhaps a little better as a result of having seen that or heard about that or learned about that. Yeah. So history is a wonderful thing. There's that wonderful phrase, isn't there? Those who don't study history are condemned to repeat it. Wow. There's a whole history thing. I don't, I, I, I'm not a fan of history for various reasons, but um, <laughs> always repeat. That's all I'll say. Lots of things come round again and again. So there are <laughs> themes. There are themes. Yeah. So the, Talking about the relationship between parents and children is really, really good. And supporting partners and supporting friends is really vital, I think. So the next thing I wanted to talk about is how do you actually know whether you're okay or not? So we've talked a little bit about how important structure is. If you have a structure in place where you have a regular way of being, you have regular structure to your day, you know what you do, you know how you generally feel if you do things, you are then able to identify when you feel more or less okay than you did before. If you have a totally chaotic structure, you kind of don't, you've got nothing to pin that off. It's just every day is different and everything is happening to you all at once and you're very reactive. 
you have no way of actually being able to step in and say, uh, I don't feel as good today as I did yesterday. What have I done differently today to what I did yesterday? Because there's nothing to pin it on to. So I've got an ex- a particular example. So I'm a weird person, okay? I'm weird and wonderful. And I've got yep. this thing about having cold showers. Now, I'm not, I know this is odd. I start with a warm shower because I love a warm shower, but I always finish with cold. You're looking, sorry, I can see him, listeners, don't. So he's looking like he wants to throw something in. Go, go, Dale. I do that when it's hot. I have my normal shower and then I turn the temperature down and down yeah, and down until I get it cold, but only when I'm really hot. And uh-huh. it is such a nice feeling, that cold shower. But I couldn't do the whole plunge pool thing or anything like that. I haven't done a plunge pool. That's probably a stage braver than I am right now, but I will at some stage. But it's really interesting. So there's a thing called the Wim Hof Method, which is quite interesting. He's the Iceman. Um, he's been... Uh, okay. He's a guy called the Iceman. He's got um, a whole YouTube channel and a program. Basically, it's around helping you to reduce your level of anxiety, stress, all sorts of other things. And one of the things that's really helpful is cold. Actually, cold can really help. So it can help to reduce your level of anxiety. There was a program on television recently, and I've promptly forgotten the name of it. But it had um, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall and the lovely lady from Breakfast TV, Steph. I'm trying to say McGowan, McGovern. Um, and they tried lots of different things to help with well-being. And he was really anxious. And one of the things that the doctor gave him to do was to go and have either a cold swim or a cold shower every morning. And he actually found that really, really helpful. And I've tried this for months. So I've been doing it for a long time. And then it got cold a couple of days ago. And I thought, oh, I don't want to be doing that. I'm just not up for this today. So normally I'd do it every day without fail. Just say, I don't care if I'm not up for it. I'm doing it. I decided not to. It was cold outside. I've been for a run. I came back in. I went for my shower, had my nice hot shower and just thought, I'm so not up for this today. So I didn't have it. And then I suddenly realised later on in the day that I was feeling really anxious. And I thought, well, what's different? And it wasn't until the following day I suddenly thought, oh, for heaven's sake. So it's one of the things I do regularly. It helps. I hadn't realised that my anxiety level was so much higher because I hadn't done the flipping thing that I always do. If it isn't a thing you always do, you don't know when it's changed. So you can't identify what works for you. How annoying is that? It is. So my life is I travel with work. I've got family all over the country. I do lots of things. So for years, my life has been really hectic. Mm. I used to, a few years ago, I'd be away two or three nights a week, somewhere else in the country, traveling, driving, flying, a lot of time away alone, no routine at all. Um, but over the last sort of year, the traveling we've done to reduce as we've switched to online meetings. I'm no longer traveling up to uh, Newcastle for a meeting. I'm just clicking on a button on my laptop at work and having a meeting. So it meant I've had a bit more of a routine and I've finally been able to I finally adjust my routine to suit. Mm. Um, but I do I do sometimes worry, is there a placebo thing going on? But that's, that's a whole other thing. Well, there's a very straightforward question. Does it matter? So no. if it makes you feel better. Then it does to me. Well, if it makes you feel better and you're able to do more, you're able to achieve more, you're able to cope with more, does it matter? 
I, 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 I get very doubty. So I did it, or is it just, am I just thinking it did? If I'm just thinking it did, it doesn't. And if I do it, well, I'm doing it, am I doing it because I think I should do it, but it's not actually going to have an effect now because I've realised it's not actually <laughs> a whole headache I go into. Yeah, there is a thing that is actually quite important around thinking and the way that people think. So when we get into that um, anxiety spiral or that thought spiral, we start watching and second-guessing and thinking about the thought, about the thought, about the thought, about the thought. And if you're anxious, what happens is you get stuck in that, and that's what causes the egg So you keep going around that thought again and again and again. And one of the things that's really useful about mindfulness, which is why lots of people do it, is sitting there and letting that thought float away. So you see it, you recognise it, and you let it go. You see it, you recognise it, you let it go. So that's why you don't kind of go, did I do that? Did I do that? Why did, why did I do that? What if I did that? And, and you don't kind of get stuck in that spiral in the same way. So that's really useful. So we're talking about structure. One of the things that I wanted to talk about is that lots of people are desperately trying to home educate right now. And I utterly get that. My experience from our family is that I cannot teach my children. It does not work. I'm sorry. I, I'm here to for all those people who are listening to everybody out there say, oh, I've managed to achieve 16 worksheets and done this, that and the other. You know, that's absolutely wonderful. If you can do it, if it makes you feel good, if it helps them to keep on track, if it helps them reduce their anxiety because they feel they're making progress. Fantastic. Go for it. I love you. I celebrate that. I cannot do that with my children. At all. I've never been able to. So I have tried. I have been the parent who has sat there with the workshops, worksheets going through them item by item, saying, why did you have trouble with question number 13? And our anxiety level going up as a family again and again and again, because they were getting so wound up by me looking at them and watching what they weren't doing exactly perfectly, because, of course, I would do it exactly perfectly, wouldn't I? No, no, not really. But I would think I would. So what I learned from our experience, and it's not the same for everybody, was that I had to support them and say, if you need any help, I'm here to help. Otherwise, this is the time in which you do it, and I'm going to step back and leave you to do it. It is your responsibility to do. It is your work to do, not mine. I will help you till the ends of the earth if you ask, but you have to ask. And I now have two independent learners who are actually doing okay. Would they get the same results that they'd get if I was standing there helicopter parenting over their shoulder, giving them my answers and telling them they needed to write 15 sentences with the right participles in the right place? Maybe not. Will they be more able to cope eventually? Probably. Question is, I always find if if you tell someone too much, they're not actually learning from it they yeah. just almost wrote learning yeah. so when they get in a different situation they won't have that skill whereas if they learn independently it will be with them forever and i think the worst thing for us was the stress levels that that was involved so there was one awful moment where this was before coronavirus and my children now are uh, nearly 18 and 20 coming up 21 so you know this is some time ago where i had them both ran the dining room table doing homework and both of them were on school report for not having done bits and we were trying to get their homework done and I just looked at them and we were all having a complete breakdown (laughs) and thought actually this is not what I can do this is not helping them and this is not helping me and we actually had to withdraw I think 
in five years of time, 10 years time, we will look back on this period and what we will not remember is the worksheet on phonics. What we will not remember is that particular set of maths questions. What we will remember is when we were snuggled around watching the thing about Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. What we will remember is the paintings we made or the jokes we had or the fact that they were all absolutely wetting themselves with laughter at me about something or other, because they do that quite often. You know, it's just those are the things we'll remember and those are the things that will matter. And please, God, we're all there to still enjoy it. And if we're not, we will have left them with a better memory. Yeah. Just for me, I think the schoolwork is more about having a structure and more about having their head ticking over mm. rather than the actual work the or the amount of work. It's more about let's keep your head turned on. Let's get you almost slightly distracted from what we're doing it. So you're not going to be sitting around all day. It's actually just making helping them think about different things and be active in their brains and have some structure that's not spending the whole day on the games console or in the actually getting a variety of different activities. Absolutely. And I think it's really helpful for particularly parents, to remember that actually, if you think of this as a massively extended summer holiday, it's more like that massively extended summer holiday, but without the trips out and the fun stuff. But it's more like that. And you have dealt with holiday times before. You have dealt with people in the house being sick before. You have dealt with a whole host of things that you have not chosen before. You have skills and you have knowledge you can pull on. He's nodding sagely, dear listener. But you always go on a summer holiday. You can always go out. There's challenges. It is. It's different, but it's not as different. So you it's have not, skills. It's not impossible. It's not, well, it's flipping difficult, but it, it, <laughs> there will be moments, frankly, where you want to lock everybody in a box, including yourself. And I think there's a wonderful thing. I want to talk a little bit about time. And there's time in and time out. So... There is this concept in behaviour management that uh, if somebody's been really naughty, you put them into timeout. And there have been moments, dear listener, when I have put myself into timeout because I was aware that I was the person being the least helpful at that particular moment. And sometimes you just have to stomp off to your bedroom and shut the door and and get on with it. <laughs> you know that may be necessary. Did you do it for twenty one minutes? One minute for every year of your age. Absolutely. I think if I could have stayed in there for considerably longer than 21 minutes, I'd have been very happy. And then I could have segued nicely from the time out into reading a book or doing something I really enjoyed. Yes. And normally what happened then is that I would come out and say, look, I'm sorry, I just completely lost it. Because there will be times which we lose it. Yeah. Because everybody's, you know, we as parents will lose it from time to time. The kids from time to time will lose it. It is only to be expected. We're, this is on a period of unusual stress and pressure when people are worried about health, they're worried about food, they're worried about money, they're worried about support, they're worried about school, they're worried about what happens next. You know, you will lose it. Just give yourself a bit of leeway and say, look, we're all going to get this wrong from time to time. Let's just breathe deeply and this isn't what everything will be like. There was a time before there will be a time after. Yeah. So the other thing I was going to talk to you about, that's, that's time out and then there's time in. And I think the other thing that people need most right now is time to be close with the people they know and love most and to get that reassurance in the best way that they can. 
For some people, it'll be physically being close to them. For other people, it'll be not being physically close to them, but doing something alongside. For other people, it might be diving into their special interest with them and watching something they love to watch or helping them build something in Lego or creating something artistic or performing something in interpretive mime or it could be anything but it's whatever brings them joy and pleasure and doing it with them and doing it wholeheartedly and I think that that can just be such a blessing so that's time in and time out. I was about to say at the moment is I said project-based learning is amazing Mm. and if you Rather than doing worksheets on English and maths, if your child has an interest and you can dive into that interest, you can read, you can find out information, you can make, you can draw, you can colour, you can build, you can look at them. Most interests have a range of activities you can do around them. And your kids' brains will be active, time will fly They'll be enjoying it. You can be part of it. So much better than a mass worksheet. Oh, absolutely. And I love a scrapbook. So one of the best summers we ever had, the best, well, one of the summers I feel best about as a parent, obviously, we did a whole summer where wherever we went, whatever we did, they had to record it somehow and either write something, draw something, play something, photograph something, just do something related to that. So we could adapt that for a wonderful coronavirus diary. And you could do photographs of the the pillow fort you made, or you could do um, a review of the chocolate chip cakes you baked, or you could do, well, that's really good for measuring, that's really good for maths, that's really good for home economics, that's really good for life management, that's really good for cookery, it's really good for clearing up, you know, all of those things. And you can record those things with a phone, you can record them in writing, you could get them to sing something, you know, any of that, and just record it on a piece of paper, stick it in a folder. If you've got a scrapbook at home, stick it in a scrapbook, they can make it as beautiful as they like or do it in the easiest possible way. It doesn't matter. But then it'll be a gorgeous, joyful thing for them to look back on and think, actually, that was a really interesting time. Yeah, perspective. Yeah. So I think we get very het up about now. One of the things about anxiety is that people tend to worry about two things. So they worry about things that have happened in the past that they wish they'd done differently. And you can't do a thing about that. Or they worry about things that may or may not happen in the future, and you can't do a thing about that. So there's something really important about focusing on what's happening right now. And if the right now isn't great, you have to work to change the right now, but you have to change the way that you're looking at life from having this rearview mirror or the looking into the future all the time. And there's that awfully happening thing, isn't it? It's called the present because it's a gift and it's what we have right now. And that's all we have right now. Sorry, it's slightly cheesy. This is my cheese, cheese alert, cheese alert. That's, that's, like a, that's a fridge magnet, I think that is. It really is. Well, they could make one of those. <laughs> they could have a mum's cheesiest phrasing during coronavirus contest. I think actually we could do cheese word bingo. <laughs> cheesy phrase. I was thinking bingo. a bingo card. Yep, definitely one of those. 
And there's a fantastic book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which talks about how important it is to actually live in the moment, to have a view for the future, but live in the moment. So you have to kind of be able to switch between those two. And that is really quite something. So that's a bit of bit of usefulness about time. The other thing I want to talk about is if you're looking in terms of managing anxiety, you have to think about how you are right now and use your structure to plan your score. So I've got a little tool which we'll put into the show notes called the Emotional Distress Detector Toolkit. And it's designed to help people rate how they feel on a scale from one to 10 throughout a two week period, but you can adapt it for the day. And that will help you to realize what activities make you feel better and what activities make you feel worse. And it will help you to identify how to actually program into your day, into your week and into your month and into your life, the things that make you feel better and reduce the things that make you feel worse. So there'll be a little link to that. It's very easy. It's You just put a number in, then it colours up. So 10, 10 is I'm feeling really, really anxious right now. And one is I feel absolutely fine, calm and lovely. And ones are green and tens are red. So, you know, it's a traffic light thing. It's really, really easy. There's some other things that you can use that will help you to rate and identify how anxious you're feeling. There's a lovely program, which is an app called Molehill Mountain. And that was designed and developed with the help of autistic people to help them to identify, rate and manage their levels of anxiety. So that's a good one. We'll put the link for that in the show notes for you. And then there's another fantastic resource, which I'm going to talk to you about, which is called Cards Against Anxiety. So that's a resource. I know it's fantastic. If you've ever heard of Cards Against Humanity, um, young children do not do those. Do not do those unless you want to freak them out. My kids absolutely love it, but they're that much older. And they said, we can't play them with you because we know it's going to make you really anxious about some of the horrible things we come up with. I hadn't read, read that. That line, and when you say cards against, I'm going not humanity. No, That's not no. going to help. No, anxiety. Cards, cards against, against anxiety. anxiety. And it's by Dr. Pookie Knightsmith, which I have to say is the best name ever. I really wish I had a name like that. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that. I was childish. I was saying that in my head, going, "That is a great name." I'll, I'll be, I'll be mature. I won't mention that. But you've, no, you've it's a great name. Find the joy. Find the joy wherever you can. And it's really, really good. So Pookie Knightsmith is a doctor. She's also had considerable experience in mental health. She goes around and teaches schools about mental health and well-being. She's produced this wonderful guidebook with a little set of cards, which you can carry around with you that have specific tools and techniques that you can use. Absolutely fantastic. So I highly recommend that. There'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. So what that does is it helps you to work out things that you can do when you're at different levels. And that's really helpful. We'll come on to several different techniques, some of those which are from her toolkit, others from other places as well. But we've got loads of specific strategies to give you really tangible hints, tips and techniques. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was just what can you actually do if you're feeling anxious? So how do you set up your life so that you generally feel better? Because that's something we could all do with, isn't it? Cool. I'm glad you said yes. I was going to worry if you said no, 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 no. I want to feel terrible all the time. No. So, of course you do. So there's something I call the four C's framework, just to make it nice and easy. So there are four different things that you can do. The first thing is connect. So that's being in touch with people. 
Now, it doesn't matter who you are, the vast majority of us need to have some form of connection with a human being at some point, whether it's virtual or in person. And that is really important. Now, not everybody has the same amount of connection that makes them happy. And I think there's something about matching that to what you need. But being socially isolated all the time is pretty much bad for everyone. Human beings are wired to be social. Now, how that's experienced varies. And if you're autistic, you may want to control that. You may want to have safe people. You may want to do it through text or chat or do it with people who have the same interests rather than go out and do virtual parties. Uh, virtual parties, you notice, I say, not real ones. <laughs> but, you know, everybody needs to connect with somebody. And one of the lovely things that has happened recently that I've experienced is we had a, a, a Zoom chat with a couple of uh, three of my best colleagues. And we had a Friday evening cocktail party over Zoom. Well, we sat there and we had our gin and tonics. This is not for your children, guys. This is not for your children. They can do it with pop and teddy bears if they want. You know, same idea. But we were gin and tonic and dinner. So we had that. And it was just brilliant. It was lovely to speak to people that we haven't seen for a while and to have a really nice time. And you can do the same with coffee mornings. I've got a friend of mine who I normally go and see for coffee every Friday morning. And I can't see her at the moment. She's self-isolating because she's vulnerable. So we're having virtual coffee mornings. So we find somewhere nice and sunny to sit. We get a cup of coffee and we do FaceTime. And you were talking about in your podcast with Jane about how you're doing that with family. And you said you've yes. got a special piece of kit that you use that you might want to remind listeners about. Which piece of? Ah, the Alexas. Yes. Yes. So the thing is, technology is great uh, and Zoom is an amazing tool, but there is a certain level of technical knowledge in the amount to access things like Zoom. And if you can get it onto a phone, so Zoom does work on phones, but you've got Facebook Messenger has videoing, WhatsApp has videoing. But again, the older the person, the less tech savvy they are, <laughs> the less that's still going to work. So what I love about Alexa shows is they are nice big screens. You can get up to an 11-inch screen. Mm. Um, and you call each other. And if you start, if you trust each other, you can even just drop in on each other. If you do drop in, it's very nice. It does blur the screen for at least 20 seconds. So if you do drop in on someone and it is their bedroom, they can run for cover for it. <laughs> that was making me feel really anxious, just the thought <laughs> of anybody arriving without warning. It's just not and good. If you do have multiple Alexas, you can kind of guide it to which one they drop in on. See, it's not oh, a case right. that okay. suddenly pop up in the bedroom. So we've got, we've got, we haven't got shows here, but we've got Alexas everywhere. But we've got a show in the kitchen. It's actually our um, kit oven timer and various other stuff. You can hmm. watch TV when you do the ironing. It's great, but it is also that's where we go when we face when we uh, have video calls with relatives. So you can just catch up in a really non-techy kind of way. It makes it as simple as possible. And it means what I like about it is, and that's the thing, I think if you make communication the prime focus of the activity, it's not necessarily going to go well. So if I just say, let's call each other at 10 a.m., you'll call each other and go, well, now what? <laughs> if you call each other going, have a coffee, have a cake, immediately, what cake have you got? I've got a conversation starter. So Absolutely. Again, with Alexa show is you can video call each other while you're washing up, while you're ironing, while you're cooking dinner, or what are you cooking? And it gets the 
you almost you can forget so with your uh, cocktail party is mm. you weren't there you were, you were there having dinner with friends it just you weren't with each other so again the, the, the communication method wasn't the main focus and um, just on anxiety my nephew uh, is a school refuser uh, they were people had people coming to his house mm. now he's uh, social distancing they can't come to his house so let's oh, do zoom let's do zoom <laughs> He hated it. He hated Zoom because it was like, let's do a Zoom meeting. Now what? What are we supposed to be doing? This is really awkward. This mm. is really. So now what they do is they actually Zoom in on one device, which they mm. can then have the webcam, they communicate. But he also shares his screen from his game, from his computer. Mm. So he's playing his game. They can watch him. They can see what he's doing. They can talk about the activity. And it helps reduce that anxiety. Excellent. I love that. And the other thing to think about under connection is not to forget older people. So one of the things that you can do is you can go really old school. You can actually write a letter and get somebody who's on their walk to drop it off at the local old folks home, the local residential place up the road, because lots of us have those around. And you'd be amazed how many older people would just love to have something from somebody else's outside. And that can be a really beautiful thing that you can do. And it will cost you very little and it's a nice thing to do. Nice. So it's worth bearing in mind because some people don't have anyone around. And one that the local um, nursing homes has put a call out to on the local Facebook groups, the local service groups, and said, anybody who wants to draw a picture or write a letter, please just drop it in. So if there are any of your listeners who are thinking, well, I don't want to do this afternoon, write a letter to a random old person saying <laughs> about all the things that you love to do most. <laughs> and they'll actually be remarkably grateful for it. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's really, really lovely. Apparently, like, they like playing the game Cards Against Humanity. Should we get it? <laughs> no, no, do not, do not do that, Dale. That's bad, bad, Dale. Stop it. <laughs> Heaven's sake. I don't know. Give him a name and he'll go off. No, not Cards Against Humanity. That's not one they'd like. But you can do things that will make people happy. And I think it's one of the things that's really, really important for us to remember is that we, it's easy to get caught up in our own story, in our own head, in what's going on with us. And one of the things that helps people most is to think about somebody else, to do something for somebody else. And especially if it's somebody you don't know. I know that sounds a bit random, but actually it really helps. And some of the most committed and delightful and happy people are those who are busy working to help others. So it's just an amazing thing to do. If you can think of one thing to do, do it. It will make you feel good. It'll make them feel good. And hey, what's the downside? So we were talking about doing that. Oh, yes. The other thing I wanted to say around rating your anxiety is that you may have different expectations for the day. So as somebody who's lived with in a household with chronic anxiety around, there are some days where we can do more and some days where we can do less. And that will change. And we've got a process whereby we actually work out how much we can ask each other to do at different times you say well what sort of day are you having is it a number five day or is it a number eight day whereabouts is your anxiety right now and you would lower your expectations for what you would expect somebody to be able to do if they were having a really high anxiety day 
and you change what you do to take that into account. So that will affect how much they're able to be social, how much activity they're able to do. It can be all sorts of things. So it's just worth knowing that and bearing that in mind. So you've given us the uh, connectors, the first C, your four yep. Cs. So that's connect. The second one is control. Right. So I love this. I'm sorry, we're an autistic family. We do love to be in control. Control freakery here? Yeah, absolutely. Rocking it all the way. So we are in a period where there are lots of things you cannot control. It is extremely worrying. There are things you can do, though. So one of the things you can do is to take a piece of paper and write down on the left hand side things I can't control. On the right hand side, things I can control. And you can write down all the things you can't control that you're worried about on the left. And then you start to write down the things you can control on the right. So what you can't control will be coronavirus. What you can't control is somebody getting sick. What you can't control is the fact you can't go out as much. What you can't control is um, you can't go bowling or you can't go to the cinema. And on the right hand side, you might put down, I can control what time I get up. I can control whether I get dressed. I can control if I'm sitting and watching with somebody else. I can control if I make some food for somebody. I can control how much I eat. I can control whether I'm drinking. I can control if I'm exercising. Then what you do, you fold that piece of paper in half, you rip it down the side, you keep hold of the side that says the things you can control, and you rip into little shreds the things you can't control. Because actually, there's nothing you can do about that. And then you stick the list of the things you can control somewhere that's right in front of you. Because it helps you to think about how much you can actually do. And do the things you can actually do. Obsess about the things you can actually do. Because the more you spend time focusing on those, the less time you can spend focusing on the things you can't. And the better you will feel. Yeah. It's really, really helpful to do that. You have to let go of the things you can't control. Yeah. It's radical acceptance. Is it easy? No. Is it essential? Yes. And I think as a parent, we eventually get to that point because, you know, you have this tiny life that starts off inside you if you're a female and you've given birth to somebody. And then as they kind of come out, you suddenly realise that you have progressively less and less control over them as they get bigger and bigger. And I'm facing mine being teenagers and leaving altogether. And you just have to realise that there are lots of things you can't control. All you can do is the best you can with what you've got. So that's control. The next one is curate. And this ties in with the things that we're talking about social media as well. So in, when I'm talking about curate, imagine that your life is an art gallery. And you get to choose what pictures go up on the wall. You get to choose what you're going to put on display and you're going to get to choose what you look at regularly. So you have to curate your own experience. You focus on what you will allow to be in there. And what goes into your mind is affected by everything you see, everything you listen to, everything you hear and everything you experience. So if you have a choice between, is that going to be something really lovely or is that going to be something that's going to freak me out? Which are you going to choose? Lovely so you, every time. They're lovely every time. So there is something about not shying away from some of the darker things in life. But do you know what? Life throws those at us anyway. So I would always choose 
something that makes me feel good. So one of the things that can be really helpful is when you're thinking about being really anxious, if you have a place that makes you feel safe and secure and somewhere you've been really happy, maybe a photo of somewhere you've been on holiday when we're allowed to go and do that sort of thing. You know, I've got a fantastic picture of um, a stone sculpture that I did. You know that stone stacking? people had a mad thing for about five years ago I actually stacked these huge stones one of these had this little monolith thing that came up and one of my favorite pictures in the world is a bit where we're sitting on a beach and there's this amazing stone statue and I just I can hear the waves washing against the stones and it is just such a beautiful thing so that's one that I've got somewhere where I can always see it so whenever I'm feeling anxious, I can look at that and, and just close my eyes and imagine myself being back in that amazing, safe place with the sun on my face and the, hearing the sea washing against it. And it's just beautiful. But pick one that you've experienced. Pick something that's real for you. I have things visually it does that, but also I have music yeah. which takes back in my life. Um, and there's a CD I listen to a lot. I've had it now for 20 years. Um, <laughs> I'm old. Is that all? Yes. But it is a CD. It's uh, 90s dance music, not trashy. There's no PJ and Duncan. Um, it was uh, euphoric, yeah, uplifting, uh, trancey house music. And I used to go clubbing to it, but I also, um, there was, my dad has a boat, we'd go sailing. And there was a time where we were doing a 24-hour sailing passage from Mm. Plymouth or some way to Portsmouth. I was on deck, it was my watch. So I was the only person on the boat awake. My dad was asleep. We're in the middle of a bay. I can hardly see land at all. It was four o'clock in the morning. The sun was coming up. I had my headphones on. I was listening to this music and it was amazing. And every time I hear this, that music, I listened to it on the way to work this morning. It just makes me feel happy because it takes me back. It's amazing. Perfect. Perfect. So those are the anchors that we need to keep us safe in troubled times. So it can be music, it can be a smell, it can be a sight, it can be all three, if you're really lucky. And one of the things you might want to experiment with is smell, if anybody's got any aromatherapy oils around, or if that's something that you do, or you like the smell of baking, you can bake things that you do regularly, you know, all of that sort of thing will help you to remember. And your olfactory sense, I know we've talked senses before, that's your nose, Um, So the sense of smell is one of the things that is hardwired into your brain closer, actually, than anything else. So interestingly, smell gets people there even faster than sound. So if you can find that, then that is great. You may find that that's a bit elusive and it's harder to recreate than music, which you can just switch on these days. So all of that's great. And if you've got a an album that you listen to in the car when you're on holiday with the kids that they all loved, then that's fantastic. And what we're aiming for right now in this time where things are really uncertain, it's going for comfort. We are going for comfort, we're going for safety, we're going for security, we're going for happiness, and we're going for love. And those are the things that will keep us grounded and help us to feel more safe and secure. 
So I've got an amazing book. Um, there was a wonderful person who used to do Radio 4 Thought for the Day when I was a kid called the Rabbi Lionel Blue. Rabbi Lionel Blue was absolutely fantastic. He was a Jewish rabbi, had the most gorgeous, soft and gentle voice. He was really lovely. And he described how whenever he thought the world was too much, he would go and read a Georgette Hare, which is 18th century romantic fiction. You know, it's as, as unchallenging as you can imagine. There were, there were incredibly tall, very, very muscly gentlemen in tight buckskin trousers and well-fitted jackets who were slightly naughty, but not really, really naughty. And then there would be this amazing female heroine who was slightly feisty and would always answer back and do things she wasn't supposed to do and then she'd end up getting the man and you know it's really unreconstructed but very very safe and very predictable and there's a wonderful one called These Old Shades which is my all-time favourite it's got adventure it's got kidnap it's got deception it's got redemption it's got oh revenge it's got everything you could ever hope for and it's absolutely wonderful so when in extreme stress I go back to these old shades and I shared it with my daughter um, last summer and because she had been having a bit of a rough time, not feeling great. And she, I said, you've got to read it. Oh, yeah, all right. You've got to read it. Yeah, all right. And then she read it. She said, I can't believe he did this. Oh, my God. He's done. And, and so I go in every so often and I get the latest bit of the story. So I keep reading. And she, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> and it was just so lovely. And it's another one of those shared moments. And there may be kids books that you've read, you know, the, the Can't You Sleep Little Bear or We're Going on a Bear Hunt or Little Monster Did It or, or The Velveteen Rabbit or, you know, those things that are familiar and safe are really, really important right now. I'm just trying to work out looking at your bookcase if I can see any of those books behind you. You can't. That's my work <laughs> bookcase. The book bookcase is downstairs. The fun bookcase is downstairs. So that's closer to my bed, so I can read that in bed. I don't need to actually be up and working. Why would this, these are all workbooks, dear, really. Proper things in proper places. So context, structure, this is in my workplace. Oh, really, some people. We need to talk more, Dale. There's clearly more work we need to do. So that's curate. So we've got three. We've got connect, control, curate. And the final one is create. Absolutely vital. One of the things that is absolutely really, really important, makes people feel better than anything, is creating something brand new. Make something. So it could be some music that you make. It could be food that you're cooking. It could be a picture that you're drawing. It could be anything where you actually have to start something brand new and make something that is gorgeous. You could create a sound. You could create a piece of choir work. You can create a brand new piece of work. If you're um, doing something that's important for other people, you can create a new product. And that can be a thing of joy. It doesn't matter what it is. And it can be small, but it, it's just amazing. And we all know that the arts have a huge impact on well-being. This is your time to be really arty. I think creating is one of those I think probably one of the hot out of all of these, that's probably the hardest one because kind of creating something is kind of putting yourself out there. And you might be not very good at the beginning. So there's a, there's a lot of anxiety around creating something. Yeah, that's an interesting one, um, the creation part, because it is great. And I remember watching a QI episode. Stephen Fry gave uh, Alan Davies a pack of cards and, sh and she said, shuffle it. And Alan Davies shuffled it and went, right, you've just done something 
that no one else has ever done. And Alan Davis looked very confused, going, no, I always shuffle cards. He said, no, no, the order you've put those cards in, no one has mm. ever, ever done. Because if you work out uh, 52 times 51 times 50, all the way down to times one, which is how you work out the probability of the order, the number you'll get is so high that it's probably never been done before. Mm. So when you're thinking creating something and you're going, oh, it's a giant thing. No, actually shuffling a pack of cards. Let's put it in an order no one else has ever done. So it doesn't have to be a big thing. Don't go for the moon. Some people might go for the moon and get there. <laughs> but sometimes go for a stick man on a piece of paper. See how stick it goes. Stick man can be great. I think You can have wonderful. so much fun. Uh, my daughter had um, recently bought a notepad book and I looked in the corner to flick through and thought, let's do some. And there was a logo there on the top and bottom. I was no. like, no. And she said, no, no, it's so you can, it's to do with some app and you can take a picture and it organizes your work for you. Went, no, the corner oh, yeah. doing the stick man, doing something silly. <laughs> Create something. But it is, it don't, yeah, don't try it. Don't, put, don't stop yourself from creating something. Give it a go. It's really interesting because I've tried to do a bit of art lately. So I'm not an artist, dear listener, at all. Um, but I do enjoy it and I do believe that it's fun and it doesn't matter if it's no good. It's okay. It's just the fact of doing it. It's the experience of doing it. And it's knowing that actually I'm one painting better than I was yesterday. And then tomorrow I'll be one painting better than I was today. And it's just doing that again and again and again, because nobody starts off being amazing. It doesn't matter what it is. No artist that you have ever seen or heard of started out coming out of the womb being absolutely phenomenal. So they may have had some skill. They may have some talent. But it's all about the practice. It's all about the practice. And I had this, this painting I did the other day. You know, we all try to have this growth mindset. It's really important. But I had this moment where I was trying to do a, a painting for somebody's birthday. And I looked at it and it wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And I was just getting a bit frustrated. And I sent it to a lovely friend of mine who is a really good artist who has had things exhibited and has had a, a proper raw show and all that sort of thing. And I said, sent it to her and I said, I'm, look, I'm sharing this with you because I just need to share it with somebody and I'm frustrated with it because I don't think it's doing what I wanted it to do. And she wrote back and said, what you're experiencing is what every single grandmaster has ever had, which is that the thing that's in your eye doesn't happen automatically on the canvas. There's, it's that struggle between what you see, what you imagine and what you create that everybody experiences. Everybody experiences. So it's just that is what it is to be a creative person. It's never entirely perfect. But hey, you know what? It could be good enough. And I actually put this picture up in our, in our sitting room. And I decided, um, sorry, in our dining room, I looked at it and I went, hmm, I'm really not happy with it. Still really not happy with the water. It was a picture of a waterfall with trees on either side. And the trees were OK, but the water wasn't doing what I wanted it to do. And I looked at it and thought, oh, really not happy with this. I was stomping around, not happy with this, not happy with this. And then I put it up and walked away, came back to it, went, I'm sure I like it better when it's further away. So now we're trying to work out exactly how far away this picture has to be for me to be really, really happy with it. 
so far it's it's just inside the house I think it may need to go a little bit further but the experience was a good one and I think it's just important to do that it's also no one knows how you wanted it to be you're the only person with that problem yeah you're the only person going that's what I was aiming for it's perfect in my head it's not there on paper everyone just sees what's on paper and they judge it on that not what you wanted it to be Absolutely. And we're really good at comparing our beginning with somebody else's middle or end. So that is the real concern. So we see somebody else's years and years and years and years of experience and practice and skill and learning. And then we look at ours and think, oh, that's rubbish. I've never had an art lesson in my life. And yet I'm looking at somebody who's been doing a painting a day for 15 years and had art lessons and did all sorts of things. That's ridiculous. You wouldn't tell your child off for that, would you? So, you know, we just have to cut ourselves a bit of slack from time to time when we're doing these things. And to remember, I mean, this, if we learn nothing else from this period, learning that actually to try things is more important than the outcome sometimes and to get it wrong is okay, then that will be an incredibly valuable thing.